Sass Backwards is sponsored by Austin Lawrence Group, specializing in demand gen for SaaS. It sure is noisy. I deleted 100 emails from vendors just this morning. Your buyer has gotten better at ignoring you, and you're going to need a big idea if you want to cut through all that clutter. Austin Lawrence is just the right agency to help you find it. So if your campaigns are falling on deaf eyeballs, let's talk. Visit austinlawrence.com today, and let's build something bigger. Welcome to the SaaS Backwards Podcast, where we reverse engineer the success of fast-growing SaaS firms and explore strategies CMOs and CEOs are using to drive their businesses forward. Welcome to SaaS Backwards, a podcast that helps SaaS CEOs and CMOs to increase revenue and profitability. Our guest today is Stefan Hiddebrandt, he's the CMO and co-founder of Dream Data. Hey, Stefan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Ken. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Me too. And let's talk a little bit about your company and your background before we get into the podcast questions. So yeah, basically the company I helped co-found is called Dream Data. We're a revenue attribution platform, which basically means we help our customers do sales backwards. <laughs> And in that sense that we help our customers understand how they get new customers. And the way we do that is by establishing a data warehouse that contains any touch about customer journeys that companies have available. And then we pick out all those touches out of the silos that it lives within today. That's typically a CRM system, a marketing automation system, a customer success software, a website, it's ads, it's everything. There's a lot of small sparks about the customer journey that lives in these silos. We get it out of the silos and then build some nice, clean customer journey maps. So the companies can do that backwards journey of understanding what worked, what didn't work, what should we do more of, what should we do less of. And so does that include like the content and other assets that are being developed? Anything that has a uh, digital reflection, we can say something about. So you can isolate whatever activity you have and say, did that move into the sales pipeline six or 12 months later? Which is the time that it typically takes in, in B2B. Right, and, especially an enterprise solution, right? It's not yeah. happening right away. Yeah, we had a podcast guest recently and he had some proprietary spreadsheet-based attribution he yeah. was doing along those lines. And I think that it would be interesting to connect you guys because he was trying to solve this manually. Yeah. <laughs> I think any marketer have tried to solve this problem manually, like pulling in all sorts of stuff into a spreadsheet and then you know it's fragile, it's probably filled with mistakes, but it, it's all you had available. And that was the same story for me when I met my two technical co-founders that actually had solved this in a product fashion and not just in this kind of... <laughs> DIY solution. Tell me about the founding story for Dream Data and you know how you got to create this company. Like, what yeah. was the vision? What instigated that? So, from my side, I have two co-founders, which are the technical people behind the product. But I come from a B two B marketing background. Have been working in these types of companies for the last 12, 15 years since I graduated university. And once you do B two B marketing, you start realizing. I actually don't have any clues how the dots connect here. I know I do this thing and then 
we get a lead coming in the door six months later, <laughs> but I'm not sure it was actually me who instigated this journey. And I've always wanted to be doing marketing to make my company go in a positive direction. And the most positive direction you can do with marketing is to create more sales pipeline and help your company sell more. But when we founded that company, I had been trying to get at this problem with marketing skills and not engineering skills for five, six years and didn't solve it. But I then happened to get introduced to my two co-founders who had been getting at this problem from a technical point of view. They were leading the product at a big review platform called Trustpilot. Sure. It's very big in Europe. And that platform generated thousands of accounts created every month, but that was set at a zero dollar value. And then they just applauded the sales team whenever they succeeded in selling anything. What they then started saying was, let's at least try to look at from when the account is created until the sales team sells. What are the activities that we can see take place here? Is there any signals of what we should do more or less of? And if you're then curious, you're then starting asking, is it better to have this entry point or this entry point? Should we cold call? Should we run ads? Should we go to conferences, etc.? And it's still the same idea we run on today. Let's take anything that touch customer journeys and try to understand if it works or doesn't work. And does your software enable you to start formalizing those journeys? Like, can you distill into an actual recommendation? Yeah, so that it, everything runs completely automatic nowadays. You connect your sources that we talked about before, and then within 24 hours, we've extracted all your data and built the first data models for you. And then, you, then we've pre-made the analysis of people normally want to know and then within no days you start to see the first signals of what you should do would do more or less of terrific so what about your own go-to-market strategy how are you reaching out into the market and you know what's working for dream data so it's funny i say this because i don't really believe in such funnel thinking per se because i don't think people know that they're part of funnels and they do what they want but i think about a funnel as there's the right people that are in market right now that are the one, two, three percent of the market that you want to be. Those people you should always get into your shop. And of course, we run ads and the keywords that people are typing when they're searching for a solution like ours. And then the next layer of that is more kind of just the right people, but not the right time. And there we run a lot of account based ads towards these people to make sure that. Uh -huh. We're on the list once they start having budget or time or uh, stuff like that. So that's typically LinkedIn ads. We would be running to kind of plant seeds with them. And then we have an awareness layer on top of those things, which is very much, you can say, awareness activities like being guests on podcasts, running our own podcast, hosting a lot on LinkedIn, stuff like that, where you just stay topical to what we do in our company and try to reach as many relevant people as possible. So we have a mixture of some always-on places, account-based ads towards those we think are the right people, and then there's this awareness layer where you know you're planting the seeds to harvest them 12 months from now. So what I really like about the way you're using those words is that it's not jargon, right? It's people who are ready to go, people who could be soon, and people who aren't nearly yet, and yeah. we need to stay in touch. I'm sure there's uh, marketing acronyms <laughs> for this as well, but that's how I kind of, I scope the funnel for myself. But I think you're right. People don't consider themselves part of a funnel. Absolutely not. in fact, probably would resist it if you let them know they were in your funnel. I'm sure you have clients where they say, I want to do podcasts for uh, low funnel stuff or top funnel stuff, but 
the truth is that content is getting consumed all the time. Maybe it's that one good podcast that actually helps a very late stage sales conversion close because they can hear you have some smart people at this conference that know what they're talking about. So I can actually sign the contract with these guys by listening to a top funnel piece of content. Yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. I think the buyer state is a much more valuable way to approach that. What are the things that are working best for you? You run an attribution program. So yeah. What is the stuff that works best for you? Especially, I think everybody's looking at the people who are in market yeah. and they're maybe not quite the right time. So in that in those two buckets, like what's working best for you? To so in market, people? we actually released some benchmarks last year about amongst all our customers where we aggregated the customer journeys and the most effective channel was actually review platforms. So the traffic you get from review platforms, I think it's like a 62% faster journey than the average journey that you will, you'll see. So this thing about Firstly, getting happy customers and then getting the happy customers to leave reviews on reviews platforms. We're in software, so that's typically G2 or Captera or something like that. So the in-market people, I would definitely advise people to figure out the review platforms in your industry and make sure you're very present there. For the right people, but not right time, we use LinkedIn's product called Matched Audiences, where you can upload a list of, say, a thousand accounts that looks exactly like those you want as customers, and then you can run ads towards them. Got it, that's great. So where is this company in terms of growth? How do you talk about the size of the company and growth? So we're on this classic venture-funded path, and we raised our Series A round in the end of last year. And then we're trying, then when you raise money, you say, we're gonna go grow extra fast, the product is gonna become extra good, and. Well, well, you make, make some promises, good, yeah, right? yeah, you, you make, make promises, promises to the investors. Uh, we're not too far off that trajectory. 50% of our new business is in North America and the rest is in Europe. And it's going quite well so far. So do you have a presence here in the United States or is it all remote? Right now we run it remote. So we have a Europe sales team and CS team and our American market CS and the sales team as well. And Americans, because we're in Europe, they then come in later to work and then work later and then that way we managed to kind of bridge it but no doubt we like within a year or two we'll have to have people on the ground to you know do real-time support answer questions from potential customers etc yeah so we had the ceo guy's name was ulf arnetz he's the ceo of how we technologies from sweden yeah this is his third company where he's incubated it and done the original go-to-market work in his home country yeah in Sweden, and then focused almost all of his energy afterwards on the United States. Is that a path you're going to take, or are you going to keep the focus on Europe? Yes, it's an interesting path, and I think it's not all industries where you can do it. Like, for example, if it's Swedish banking, then there's probably another structure for that in the U.S. What we've always done is that we've always said that Denmark is going to be, too, like, we're 5 million people in Denmark, so it's always small. going to be too small. So we've, our focus has always been to succeed outside of our country instead. So we've always communicated in English. I think 5 10% of our revenue is in Denmark, but the rest is outside of the country. So the vision has always been to build a, a product and a company that works for the whole world and not just in this tiny country where I'm from. And what you're offering, you know, attribution is the thing that kind of drives the engine, right? In terms of generating support for the marketing and demand generation effort, right? So we, so it's something we need. It's a problem any B2B company faces. Like 
they don't know how long their journeys are, they don't know where they should be investing their money, and that's what we try to help them understand. And I'm trying to get away from the attribution term because it becomes kind of like technical, imaginary. We're just trying to help people understand what works and what doesn't work and help them do more of that. So this is going to be a plain English conversation. That's how I normally do it. Fair enough. How is customer success impacting your growth? And how do you look at that? So massively, we're software as a service, so subscription-based. So unless we have happy customers, then all the metrics fall apart if they don't stay. Because it's very, you know, in software as a service, it's very expensive to buy a new customer through different go-to-market activities. So if they stop their contract after one year, all the metrics look bad and the investors don't want to put money into your company. But I think wholeheartedly just the reason why you want to run a company is you want to make a lot of people happy by using your product. Like right. You don't want to be a fraud that is just stealing people's money. So customer success is an integral part of our company. They need to renew their subscriptions because they like the product they're buying. I think what I've seen more than bad actors yeah. is that they leave, you know, entrepreneurs that don't focus on success leave a lot of money on the table. Yeah. They don't get the expansion of the accounts. They don't get the referrals. Yeah. So I think that's really where we're going. We have a very strict definition of ideal customer profile in our company, which the sales team runs after, the marketing team runs after, and the CS team and the product team runs after it. So in my marketing team, if we attract complete wrong people, then it's just going to be a mess for the CS team because the customers might not know what is this product or the technology doesn't fit with what we integrate with. So... It needs to be like a coherent go-to-market effort in a company to make sure that you just don't leave a pile of very unsolvable stuff on the table of the CS team. Make sure all run in the same direction. So I, sort of the last question, one of my favorites, yeah. is you know, looking back since you founded the company, is there something you might have done differently sitting here today looking back over the last few years? I think any founder would say I absolutely not I the think, narcissistic uh, ones. Yeah. The narcissists, <laughs> okay, yeah. The narcissists don't have any problems. I'm, I'm, I'm too much of a thinking person to not to, to say that. I think the most important thing would be to play on our strengths even more. When you start out a company, you'll be receiving tons of advices from investors, from friends, from your network, etc. And they all give you advice coming from their own world saying, hey, outbound is great or you should build product in this sense or people want to invest in this thing or whatever but and you can even like if your own internal compass can get off course if you don't listen to yourself and think about what am I really good at and outbound being an example I'm a quite a good B2B marketer but the early investors were saying hey our other portfolio companies they're doing outbound so I think we, you guys should be doing outbound as well and I kept feeling this is so unscalable. I need to write to one person at a time rather than maybe I can find a community where there's a hundred or a thousand people of the right people at the right time listening right now. And I think we got thrown off course a few times in the beginning where we didn't look at our own strengths and our own intuition of what was right. That's a great one. So I don't take any advice. Ask yourself before you take uh, the outside advice. You have to trust your gut, right? Yeah. And I think that's in business and in life. You know, you really have to trust your intuition. Yeah. And when you do take advice, 
you want to make sure you get it from a source that understands you well enough to contextualize what they would recommend. Absolutely, and then when you do have enough data, then you can use that to make your decisions. For the ideation phase, you need to run on gut most of the time. So, Stefan, if people want to reach you, what's the best way for, they to do, for them to do that? Either dreamdata.io or find me on LinkedIn. I am probably spending too much time on LinkedIn, so it's just Stefan Hedebrand at Dreamdata. Excellent. Well, thanks for joining us at the Ascent Conference here in New York. Thank you, Ken. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Yep. And if uh, you want to reach me, I'm on LinkedIn slash in slash Ken Lempit. And if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please do so wherever podcasts are distributed. Stefan, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for the invite. Thanks for listening to the SaaS Backwards Podcast, brought to you by Austin Lawrence Group. We're a growth marketing agency that helps SaaS firms reduce churn, accelerate sales, and generate demand. Learn more about us at www.austinlawrence.com. You can email Ken Lempet at kl at austinlawrence.com about any SaaS marketing or customer retention subject. We hope you'll subscribe and thanks again for listening.